Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To find out who was the best Chris? Yeah, yeah, wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hello, everybody. Time for another episode of Double Feature Versus. I am Anthony. I'm Brad. And here today, we're here to give you another uh, another classic one. Today, we're going to do something that might be, uh, I hope, the first of many. We're going to do, we're going to pit two underrated thrillers against each other. Uh, really, I think with this selection we got here, these are like underrated batched crazy thrillers but um mm-hmm. you know what this this ended up being uh more of a better match than i expected um we got a uh, tony scott's film the fan with robert de niro and wesley snipes versus wayne kramer's film running scared with uh paul walker rest in peace and uh vera farminga i think that's how you say her name i believe so yeah and Chaz paul uh paul mentary in it as well um, yeah, man, uh, these are two thrillers that I've seen in my life that, uh, they don't get as much love as I would expect them to get. You know, one has a kind of a, um, against typecast performance by his lead star. The other one has a, you know, um, a terrific actor playing a, a straight up crazy role. Um, have you seen any, this, was this your first time seeing either of these? This was my first time watching both of these movies. And I I gotta say, I definitely, well, I went in completely blind. I didn't look up anything about the movies prior to. I just knew that they were thriller movies. Uh, The one I could tell was very, like, 90s, early 2000s based on the style of, like, constantly, what is it, the quick edits going on, like, constantly. Um, Which I don't care for in movies, but uh, I I could... No, no, I was going to say, we talked about it on Man on Fire, how like, oh man, that looks so cool, but after 30 minutes, you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. You know how to use a camera. Let's 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 go. Let's move on. Right. <laughs> right. Um, how you want uh, Chronologically, they, they kind of fish this time around. What do you think? Yeah, I think that fits. All right. All right. Do it in release order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it kind of it kind of works, though. Um. So we're going to start off with Tony Scott's film, uh, The Fan, released in 1996. Um, so this film right here, um, I can't believe not many, not a lot of people know about this movie. Well, some people know about it, but not a lot. But basically, it deals with um, a man named Gil, played by Robert De Niro. He is a huge baseball fan of the San Francisco Giants. Uh, his favorite, favorite baseball player, Bobby Rayburn, played by Wesley Snipes, is um moving to his team, moving to his city to play on a San Francisco team. Um, but Gil is kind of, you know, he's a little, he's, he, he he gets crazier as the movie goes on, but he mm-hmm. starts off just a little troubled. He's, he, he's stuck on this past where he used to play baseball and he used to play baseball with a friend of his, a friend that he always quotes when he takes his son to the baseball games or watches baseball. He, he's so ingrained in the light, in the game of baseball. He thinks, baseball is the game of life 
Yeah, if know. you could narrow down somebody's personality traits to being baseball, it's this guy. It's literally all his quotes are baseball quotes. Uh, everything that he does revolves around baseball in some way. And mm-hmm. it's absolutely insane. And you can tell that he really doesn't care about anything his son has interest in outside of baseball. Right. So the way this film goes, um, we follow this guy. He's a, he's a knife salesman. Uh, the knives aren't that good, but he's a knife salesman. He, he inherited a job from his father who started the business, but um, his sales are low. So he's dealing with that. He's dealing with an ex-wife who um, has a restraining. Well, she she. She has a restraining order against him to, uh, to like he can only have his son for so many hours and has to bring him back at a certain time, and he's dealing with that. And he's uh, he lives in this um I think he lives in a motel I don't I don't remember but um he he's basically down on his luck and he's he's kind of a tragic figure, like the way De Niro plays him. This is why I say it's one of De Niro's most underrated performances. The way he plays him, like he brings nuance to his character. Like he's such a He's such a tragic. You you feel pity for this guy, but you're you're kind of like, you know, how to not creeped out by him because I wasn't creeped out by him, but you're you're kind of like you're confounded by him. You feel sorry for him, but he's kind of a a, a troubled, messed up dude. Yeah, in the beginning, you definitely feel bad for him. Like he's just going through a right. rough patch. He lost his job. Uh, he's just really trying to get. His, to enjoy the baseball game with his kid and he's already fighting with his wife about getting that little bit of time uh he's also trying to like struggle to kind of have everything go right because he's losing clients he's not able to get any new ones uh his biggest client is kind of you know avoiding him more or less yeah and um, so while we're introduced to him, we're also introduced to Wesley Snipes' character, Bobby Rayburn. Now, when Bobby Rayburn first shows up, we think, okay, he's the usual cocky baseball player. There's no really, there's no real nuance to him. But you know, as the film progresses on, we see that you know Bobby Rayburn is he's human, you know. And uh, when he comes to this new team, you know, it, it's kind of like his mojo is having the number eleven on his jersey. Um, but it turns out uh, Benicio Del Toro, which I think this is one of his first roles, um, who was already on the team, he has the number 11, and he's right. unwilling to give it up. So, you know, Bobby Rayburn, you know, in his first couple of months joining the team, he does bad. He's not really hitting any um, any any home runners. So while he's kind of down on his luck in his game, Gil is down on his luck in his personal life. Um so as the film continues on, we, we get this we get this uh, kind of low point for both of them. You know, Bobby Rayburn, you know, he's coming off this um, thing where he was he was supposed to hit a home run for um, for a make a wish uh, cancer patient, a young young kid. Uh, he didn't hit the home run. The young kid passed away. And that kind of like really messed with him, you know, not being able to, like, perform as a player. The whole city is like saying F you and all that. And all the while, Gil is like glued to his seat of Bobby, you know, Gil, who's already like on thin ice with his ex-wife. He's not allowed to be around his son. He's already close to losing everything, lost his job. Everything that matters to him now is baseball and Bobby and making Bobby happy in a way because he sees Bobby as down. You know, every time people are booing Rayburn, he's always like, don't listen to him, Bobby. Hey, Bobby. Yeah, that's you know, uh, another point is like literally talk radio is shitting on Bobby. Uh, fans right. are shitting on it. Like everybody 
absolutely hates this player because he's not doing very well and he was given this huge deal to come play for the giants you know yeah 40 million so it's a big deal that he's there and he's not pulling anything it's mostly because he got an injury in his first game playing for the giants like right away so um things hit a very a very crucial um point where if this was any other type of film Listen, the, the premise of this film is ridiculous, but it's the way that this film builds up to its insanity that makes it work. Like it builds up to the insanity well. Like if if right. if, if the if the main event that happens that carries this film forward started in the beginning, I'd be like, this is ridiculous. But the, basically, what happens is, um, you know, uh, Gil just kind of finds out that Bobby misses his number. He misses number eleven. So Gil. Um, you know, in a confrontation with uh, Primo, played by Del Toro, tries to tell him, like, look, man, can you please just give up your number? Bobby needs to play. And Primo's like, dude, who are you? Like, why are you, what are you doing in this sauna? And like, get out of here. And, you know, he ends up uh, murdering Primo. So uh, at that point, you know, uh, Primo dies. Everybody wears the number 11 on their um, on their jerseys on, on the side of their arm in memori- mem- memoriam to him. And uh, Bobby, you know, feeling guilty, of course, because, uh, of course, no one knows who really killed him. You know, Bobby doesn't really know Gil, except he talks to him through talk radio uh, when he calls into the station. Uh, but he's never seen him before. Bobby just decides to, like, let everything go, stop caring, and he starts hitting again. He starts being, you know, the Bobby Rayburn that Gil looks up to. And then Gil, you know from this point on it becomes it becomes a little bit more ridiculous but like i said once you're on the film's wavelength in the way it builds up you're kind of with it you know he kind of wants validation he kind of wants a thank you when, yeah you know rayburn doesn't even know that you did this like <laughs> who, who's there to think you know what i mean yeah i gotta yeah. say like that is pretty much like the turning point for the movie because even right. like the death of uh uh primo was his name yeah, right primo yeah uh even his death really didn't make too much of an impact on the movie you're just kind of like okay so uh gill's willing to kill uh but he's already kind of gone off the deep end and then it starts to look happy again for the movie and you're just like okay was that just weird but it's really when he gets to the beach house for rayburn bobby uh, that the movie just really takes its drastic turn because up until then i can say like the first hour of this movie is kind of slow it's you know aside from it's like a, the, hmm? go on it, I, I, it's a dark drama it's it's well it's a dark drama with this it's not even supposed to be funny but the way de niro is just so like perfectly over the top as gill just kind of makes it funny sometimes like, oh yeah just, he's meant to be a psychotic up. fan and he plays that part of the role so brilliantly well. he does like there's um there's one there's scenes where you can like i said the the film builds up the insanity well like you can see in certain moments where he's with certain clients like the one guy uh he's trying to sell the knife to him and he's like um you know he's he's being a pervert uh spying on women in his department store he says do you sell kayaks and de niro just gives him a look like kayaks says i could use some kayaks what do you get mine no i don't sell the kayaks and he, he just starts like bubbling up and going off and you know he's you, you start to see the dangerous side of his personality. 
Yeah. I do love at the beginning when they're doing the thing of him like doing a salesman. He's like, if I keep selling these knives, I'm going to have to start shaving my legs soon. You know, and then (laughs) you see him shaving the other arm and then eventually you see him shaving his leg. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh, man. Dude, I. Like I said, you feel sorry for him, but you you can't help but laugh. Like, dude, this guy is on one. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, back to what you were saying. Yeah, the beach house is really the turning point. And I, um, dude, I loved it, man. I loved how, uh, you know, he just happened to be at the right time where Bobby Rayburn's son was out swimming on shore. The, the, the dog follows him. And I didn't catch that some years had passed because you saw the dog when he was a puppy. But now yeah. you see him as a full grown dog. And, uh, you know, he goes out to shore and then that kind of trips the kid up and he starts to drown and Gil saves him because he was spying from afar. And um, I, I love when he goes in uh, Bobby Rayburn's dresser when him and Bobby go inside. He says, hey, man, get some dry clothes. You know, uh, he, those pants he puts on. Did you see the pants? I didn't see what pants he throws on, but I know that Bobby made the comment about, you know, oh, those pants really don't work for you, though. And he just goes, well, they're your pants. Yeah, man, they don't. When you see those pants, they're so like retro '80s, and it's like it has it has no color correction to the jersey he has on his top. And I'm like, dude, this this character is so is is so off the wall. And um, I love when they're when he's pitching uh, baseballs to him. He's like, hey, so uh, you know, uh, what, what do you think made you start hitting good again? It's like, oh, I stopped caring. He says you you, you stopped caring. And it's, it's important to note that when they're t- having this conversation, he's not known as Gil. He tells him his name is Curly or something. Yeah, my friends call me Curly is what he tells them. Right, right. So he doesn't know that he's Gil that he's been talking to on the talk radio. And he's like, uh, yeah, you know, I stopped caring about the fans. The fans don't care about you. They only care about you when you're hitting. And, of course, he takes this personally and kind of starts making his baseball throws more intense and says, like, I, I never gave you my best pitch. Oh no, it's okay. Let's uh, you, you head on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to bed. Uh, you 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 know. And Wesley Snipes kind of like notices that um, you know, that the situations becoming intense. And uh, you know, you know, from there, Gil, uh, while Wesley is, I think, going to sleep or something, I think he uh, he takes his son and the car and the dog, and um, you know, then that's when he calls him up and reveals that hey, I'm Gil. I'm the one that killed the guy. And again, a scene that's not supposed to be funny. But I laugh at it because of De Niro's just like insanity is when he says, why don't you open your freezer up? I'll wait. <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll, wait. I'll wait. Go on. <laughs> open up your freezer. <laughs> and Wesley opens the freezer and sees the 11 uh, patch that was on Primo's shoulder that he uh, Well, it's he a tattoo. On it was a tattoo. Was a tat- he literally cut the skin off of the guy's shoulder with the ho- tattoo of the number 11. Right, and, the, and then you just see like De Niro laughing on the other side of the phone as he's as he's as he's no as he's uh you know seeing the eleven in his freezer, and I'm like, dude, this is yeah. so great. Doesn't he say something like, "I did it for you" <laughs> or something as well? No, he says he's finally starting to get it. Oh yeah, he gets he- it. <laughs> then we learn, um, and this is where it becomes really tragic. We learn, uh, we go to see De Niro's old friend that he used to play baseball with. Which is the one that he was quoting to his son, like, earlier in the movie. Right, throughout the whole movie, really. And um, we we, we meet him, and we find out he, uh, I think he runs a construction business or something, or 
like he's a manager there or something. It's something. He he might have even been just a security guard or something because he just lives on the property of like a construction company. It looks like. Right, right, and then um, you can see in his eyes that he knows something isn't right with Gil and this this young kid who he's saying is his son and he's black, like like Wesley Snipes black. And yeah. he says, oh, you know, he's, he's Bobby Rayburn's son. He says, Bobby Rayburn's son? Like, you, you know they, you know you could spend serious time for this. Oh, it's a gag. I'm just messing with him. It's a gag. Um, and, you know, it, it comes to a point where he kills him. And the funniest line, like, the funniest line in the whole movie is, uh, he says, uh, what, what does he say? Uh, he says, he says, uh, we're supposed to be partners. We we were we were teammates. It was little league. Oh yeah, we, we could have had it? this man. We could have gone to the big leagues. It it was little leagues, man. <laughs> and then he just bashes his head in. I'm like, this movie is off. This movie is so insane. Um, and you know, it all builds up to the climax, which uh, I thought was pretty well done. That was a pretty well done climax. I feel like. This is a great early Tony Scott film because it shows like he knows how to build suspension. I mean, he knows how to build suspense. You know what I mean? I will say that's one thing that this movie definitely has is suspense, uh, especially in the last maybe like 30 minutes or so uh, when yeah. the baseball game is going on because Gil right. has Sean, who is Bobby's son, and says that he's going to kill him unless – uh, Bobby can get a home run for or in the name of Gil during this next coming baseball game. And then mm-hmm. during the entire game, Gil is basically just taunting uh, Bobby by calling into the radio station, being at the game and everything. And it, it's just there, there's a lot of suspense there because not only yeah. that, but everything's going wrong for Bobby to get this home run. Yeah, yeah, he keeps saying to the um the pitcher like, "Dude, don't throw any hard balls. You're killing me here." Like, I like seriously, you are killing me. And I, I want to say like, there was also they mentioned it during like the uh, the sportscaster kind of people mentioned that this pitcher had a vendetta against Bobby too for a previous game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so it's, it's a it's a competitive thing, but of course they don't know that you know. He needs to hit a home run because his life, his son's life is on the line. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So it's, um, it, there's a lot of tension there. Then it leads to a lot of suspense because you know that the pitcher is not going to just go easy on him because he already has a vendetta against him to like show that he can, you know, pitch out Bobby. And Bobby's literally just pleading for him and with the umpire. And we find out why the umpire is not helping at all during this entire thing and literally you know making terrible calls outside of bobby's favor well they well yeah the umpire reveals to be gill but gill switches with him after the break yeah like, after the rain in the beginning yeah after the rain after the break he switches with him um yeah man great uh great finale is set up very well uh Dude, I want to talk about Wesley Snipes because he was he was pretty good in this film too. He was like, good. I wouldn't put this as like his best performance in a movie. No, that's New Jack City. Yeah, but um, but this was good yeah. for him. It was very good because in the beginning, I'm like, okay, he's playing the hot shot baseball player. Not much nuance there, but when he kind of like starts to you know 
Like you start to see his conscience. Like there's one point where John Leguizamo who plays his agent, like, oh man, you really do have a conscience. And this whole time I thought you were just like a cocky SOB. Like, yeah. you know, he starts to show nuance in his character and it you know, it shows through his performance. Um Ellen Barkin, she's pretty good as the uh the, the radio jock, the sports radio jock. Yeah, one of the sports casters. Right, right. She's pretty solid. Uh, this film has a solid cast, and as ridiculous as its premise is, it's a very well done thriller, man. And I feel like it doesn't get enough love. It, I can see why it doesn't get a lot of love, though. At the same time, because like I said before, that first half is just very slow paced. It's there's not much going on. Uh, it's a very. Yeah. But when you look at thrillers like Basic, not Basic Instinct. What's one? What the one with Glenn Close? What am I thinking of? Where she's crazy. Oh. Fatal Attraction. Like, that kind of had a slow first half a little bit. But that that movie is legendary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, I, I couldn't tell you what it... But the first half of this one just felt so... I, I don't want to say boring, but uh, I was just waiting for something to happen. and You weren't engaged with the characters? Not real. Well, I was engaged with him, but I like felt bad for him and everything like that. But beyond that, I was like going, okay, so when is something going to happen? Like, we're, we're watching this guy, like, go into madness. This isn't like, uh, I'm trying to remember, the guy that, like, got stuck in traffic and then he went on a rampage. Falling down. Falling down. I love that movie. Like, that is that. a good kind of watching somebody go into madness deeper and deeper. With this one, we kind of see it a little bit at the beginning that he's down on his luck. But I think this one builds it well. Falling Down started from 10, though. Let's be real. That's true, yeah. Yeah. But um, I, I see what you're saying. I, I understand. I, I, I admire the comparison, but... um, Like, I was just yeah, kind of waiting I, for something to happen. It was just a very slow burn for him to finally reach that point of when he kills uh, Primo for Bobby's number. Okay. That's a fair criticism. Uh... Yeah, man. Uh, I think if we're going to cap it off here, I, I love this movie. Like, I discovered this film, I think, when I was in high school. My mom had bought this on sale on DVD at Circuit City. I'm like, what's this film? De Niro and Snipes. My mom said something funny. She says, yeah, I, I tried to go see that in the theaters, but you were three and kept crying, so I had to wait to go rent it when it came out. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, cool. Is this a good movie? Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I just went. So I just ran and watched it. Um, yeah, man, I got a lot of love for this movie, man. I, I feel like it builds itself up well. I give it a, I give it a light four. I, I gotta give this one, like, a 3.5. Like, okay, the acting is fair. good, the plot is over the top, but it's entertaining once it actually starts rolling. Uh, great tension when it comes to that last baseball game, last, like, 30 minutes of the movie. Absolutely mm-hmm. great tension between there. Um, a couple of nice little twists with him, like having swapped in for the umpire and literally trying to ruin his chance of getting that uh, home run that he needs in order to not have his son die. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. It, I, I like that. It it does very well there. Uh, Robert De Niro is top of his game in this movie. Wesley Snipes oh, is really well. I, I, yeah, I think this is one of De Niro's most underrated performances, man. Oh yeah, I can he, he happily really agree with it. that. Um, it, fun fact: 
Did you know, I don't know if you're in the movie scores. I think we talked about this once, but um, Hans, Hans Zimmer uh, scored this. Oh, did you know, he really? Nolan's us- yeah, Nolan's usual go-to guy. And I can kind of hear it in the music, the main, the main theme song, I mean. I can see that. This one also did have the 90s uh, musical kind of, we got to throw this like intense music in for this five-second clip real quick and then just cut it off. Uh, whenever something like major was happening. <laughs> All right, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, yeah, man, I thought that was a pretty good underrated thriller. Um, all right, ten years later, another film came out. Ten years uh, to the year, not to the day, I don't think. Uh, and if you want to talk about a film that's on ten from start to finish, uh, we could talk about Wayne Kramer's uh, Running Scared with uh, Paul Walker, and I'll uh, let you take the lead on this one. Yeah, this one just hits the ground running, uh, literally, with it following a mafia. I guess it wasn't really supposed to be like a cop bus because these were like uh, cops trying to rob these mafia people or the gang. Well, we, yeah, yeah, cops. They run up. They run into a um, a drug deal. I think it was a drug deal or a deal going on between a uh, mafia, the mafia, and these Jamaicans. Yes. And these um, these crooked cops run in with ski mask on and try to rob the place. Uh, things go haywire. Uh, the Jamaicans get killed. Uh, I think one of the did one of the mob hands get killed. Or um, I think they... one of the mob hands got killed and then two of the cops got killed. One of the cops managed to leave. Uh, and right, that right. was a huge point in the movie that that cop was in the hospital and everything after that. Yeah. Then there was the two mob hands and then uh paul walker's character survived mm-hmm. and who was also a mob hand yeah who was also a mob hand and one of the mob hands is actually played by the guy that plays uh ford in the walking dead like throughout the movie i kept going i know him from something and i couldn't figure it out for the longest time until there was one shot of him with like a mustache and i was like oh that's rob ford from uh or ford from uh the walking dead i uh i noticed in the end that one of the uh russian mobsters one of the guys that show up in the ending is my man from fringe the older uh scientist guy i don't know if you ever watched that show i haven't watched that one you you would recommend you would uh you would recognize him on that show if you did. Oh, I believe it. But yeah, following that uh going out, uh we see his son steals a gun and gives it to a friend of his. Isn't that how he no, gets the gun? No, so what happened was um Paul Walker who was the who was the um, who was one of the mob hands who was at the uh trade-off he's given two guns that were used in in the um in the shootout and says like hey Mm. go hide these somewhere you know so he goes home he hides them um his son's friend his son and his friend both see the guns but his son is the one that's that that steals it like uh no no his son's friend steals it okay Uh, i thought for a while there that his his son took it and gave it to his friend not that his you know son's friend oleg was his name right? 
Oleg, Oleg, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oleg so, stole the gun. Okay, so Oleg did steal the gun from the start because then the entire movie uh, becomes this race to try and find Oleg, who is running around with this gun that they can use to track back the bullet well, from the police officer. Right. And let's let's talk about how it all got there too. Oleg, um, it's like it's like heaven and hell when you look at both of their households. Oleg lives in a household with uh you know his he has a submissive mother uh submissive russian mother um a russian a vicious russian stepfather who is unhealthily obsessed with uh john wayne uh and um you know he beats you know the the stepfather beats on the mother and uh you know stepfather is kind of a vicious kind of downright evil well i don't want to say downright evil but he he he's an evil dude Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's not a good dude. I won't say evil. He's not a good dude. Um, so Oleg kind of shoots him, uh, you know, in retaliation for him beating up on his mother and o- Oleg kind of runs off. And then that's when, uh, Joey, who is, um, Paul Walker's character says, Oh no, he took one of the guns that we needed to hide. Uh, so, um, you know, it won't get found and, you know, in forensics and they won't get arrested. So he has to, that's when it becomes a cat and mouse game. He's trying to find Oleg so he can find the gun. And, and we got to admit that Oleg was having the worst day of his life this entire movie as well. Dude, if you look at the film from Oleg's perspective, it's like a very dark Alice in Wonderland. Like if you would, like this dude oh, yeah. comes across pimps, child predators slash murderers, like, uh... You know, a, a, a hooker with a heart of gold. There's always one. Um, what, what, what a, a homeless man uh, that was creepy. Like, uh, yeah, he first runs he... into the homeless man in like their treehouse. I think it was, or it was yeah. some kind of like built-up hideout kind of thing, kind of like a treehouse. And there's a homeless right. man kind of just there, and Oleg gets there with the gun, and he's like, "Oh, nice gun you have there." And they take so let's just go through Oleg's day first because this is <laughs> the insanity one. Like Paul yeah. Walker's story is interesting, but Oleg's every time I cut to Oleg, I was like, "Oh, I'm back in. This is this is great." Uh, so he starts off in the clubhouse or the treehouse where there's a homeless man there. Yeah. Uh, he aims the gun at the homeless man. And he's just like, oh, nice gun you got there. And then we cut to him with the homeless man robbing a bunch of drug dealers. Well, the and... homeless man grabbed him. Like, let's, yeah. yeah, the homeless man grabbed him and basically brought the kid along to go rob a bunch of drug dealers using the gun that uh, Oleg had. And mm-hmm. they go through that. After that, uh, Oleg manages to escape again with the gun somehow, and he runs well, in. And uh, Joey, I was gonna say Joey's right behind him too, because Joey hears the gunshots and runs off like towards the gunshots. But by that point, Oleg is already running off, and um, yeah. then that's when he comes across uh, Mac Daddy Lester. Yeah, the pimp. Um, Right, the pimp who's beating up his prostitute, uh, Davina, I think is her name, because she was going to night school. Um, and, um, you know, so he's beating her up, and he, you know, Oleg aims the gun at Lester. Uh, he pulls the trigger, nothing comes out. So Lester, you know, he threatens, says, I'm going to make you smile from ear to ear, kid. And then that's when Davina, you know, beats him upside the head. And so then Oleg is running with Davina at this point. And mm-hmm. um, she, they, they go to a diner. And then that's when he crosses paths with uh, 
uh, Joey, who is sitting down with the mob family. And, you know, things are getting a little tense because they want to make sure, like, hey, what's what's going on? Is, oh, yeah, is you need to right? drop off the two guns. You haven't done that yet. He's like, I'm, I'm on yeah. it. I'm on it. Uh, right. Didn't they go to the pharmacy before the diner? Him, him and the prostitute went to the pharmacy first. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, to get which his, I love uh, that scene because uh, Oleg yeah. needs a inhaler because he has mm-hmm. asthma or something. So they right. go to a pharmacy and the prostitute's just like, here's the money, you know, just give us, well, you need a prescription. Here, you can keep the change. Just, we need, what is it again? And just has Oleg repeat what he needs. And she offers, like, uh, to suck the she pharmacy. Offers, she offers, uh, right, right. She offers sex services, and then she just pulls the gun on and says, just get us the medicine. Yeah. And the kid's like, the medicine is, he's like, I, I know, kid. I, I know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> he just grabs it. Yeah, I yeah, love that right. she tried to do it like every other way before threatening and literally robbing the pharmacy. She just chose uh, violence in the end. She chose violence. Yeah. Uh, but really, she didn't have another choice. Sometimes but then, the yeah, way. they go to the diner, which right. is where uh, Joey, Paul Walker's character, is at the same time conveniently. And mm-hmm. his son, I can't remember what his son's name is. Oh, uh, his son, Nikki. Nikki. So while they're there, Nikki is staying in the car while he's, you know, talking with the other people. And Nikki notices that Oleg's in uh, the diner at the same time, or watches him walk into the diner. So he goes to try and talk with him. They leave the gun in the bathroom, like in a toilet, I think it was, or in the back end of a toilet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after everybody kind of leaves the diner, uh, he tells his father, you know, we found the gun. It's it's over here. And, you know, they go in and the gun's gone by now. It's gone again. Yeah. Uh, I forget who ended up taking it at that point. It was a man who worked at the diner. Uh, he had just got off, so he was cleaning, and uh, he took it out of there. That's so, right, um, yes. Yeah, so, so you know, cutting away from Joey at this point, who was still out of his mind trying to figure out where the gun is, um, Oleg, uh, he, he in the diner, he kind of like, um, he runs away. No, 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 no. He gets caught by police officers first, right? Yeah, he got, gets caught yeah. by the police, and they want to take him back home. And he doesn't want to go back home. So yeah, they bring his stepfather in, who didn't die, by the way. But um, you know, he's a uh, he comes into the interrogation room. He takes Oleg out for ice cream, and uh, you know, obviously Oleg doesn't like his stepfather. So uh, he kind of like uh, throws ice cream at his stepfather and then runs away again. And then, dude, this kid has had has had the worst day. Like he get <laughs> he he runs into the back of a van, and uh, you know, everything is kind of quiet and dark opens the van up and it's these this uh this couple and they say oh i think we got another stray sweetie you know oleg looks back and sees these two other uh kids who are abducted and uh he's like oh we might as well get some more ice cream cones yeah well at the first you don't realize that they're abducted they just kind of have this like family dynamic kind of thing going where you see the two kids in the car as well and the two people that come back they're holding ice cream and they're just like oh looks like we got another stray we should probably get some more ice cream then so it seems like kind of like almost happy but you know that something's off about them 
And I saw nothing. Yeah, I, I I knew nothing. I knew something was up, man. It I was mean, like that pseudo happy kind of thing. Like everything's too right, right. glorious, so there has to be something up kind of way. Uh, but yeah, they bring Oleg back to their apartment, which is has this huge like filming kind of station with like this fake barnyard kind of theme to it and arcade yeah. machines all over big playpen yeah. basically a great place for a kid you know what i mean uh so basically he goes in the bathroom he calls up um joey's wife Teresa, and be like hey i don't like you here uh i don't know where i am then he um he grabs a, a medicine bottle to well, well she tells him like try to see if there's a medicine bottle which was smart see if there's an address on there so mm-hmm. we can find out where you are. Um, just just in last minute, he finds one, reads it off. They break into the bathroom to come get him. And, uh, you know, cutting away from that, back to Joey. Joey finds out that, you know, see, he finds out where the guy lives um, uh, that, uh, took, that initially took the gun. So he goes there. He sees, uh, I guess, I guess it was his wife with his, ba- with her baby, with their baby in her hand. He's like, "Hey, where is he? Where is he?" And you know, one of the things that mm. builds up to the film's final twist, the way he holds the gun, is so cop-like. I thought that was pretty shrewd in a way. Like, I liked how they did yeah. that. Like how he just holds it so cop-like. He doesn't hold it like a mobster. Like, I don't know if that was on purpose. And I, if it was on purpose, it's brilliant. But um, yeah. Uh, so basically, he goes to this card game that where her, where, where the guy is supposed to be. You know, little does he know the guy that initially passes him was like, "Hey, you looking for that guy? I took everything off him in the card game." He's like, "Oh, he's upstairs." He's like, "Yeah." He goes upstairs. You know, he he finds the guy and everyone's laughing because whatever he's looking for ain't there. Uh, cut back to Joey. I mean, cut back to Oleg, who's um at the place with the creepy couple. So basically, Teresa gets there. And, you know, she's banging on the door like, hey, uh, is, is Oleg here? And if Oleg isn't here, uh, you know, if you don't let me in, I'll call the cops and stay out here until they get here. So the lady uh, lets her in. Um, and, you know, fast forward, uh, you know, she finds Oleg kind of like in the cover, in, in the in the closet with a bag over his head, nearly suffocating. And then that's when she realizes that these well, people have been like, go ahead, what? You need to kind of go back a little bit because as soon as she gets into the apartment, she starts looking around and there's no sign of Oleg. You have the other two kids that are in bed in like the kids' room and everything like that. And she looks around the entire place and then she starts going, Well, maybe we had the wrong address. Maybe. And as she's about to leave, she like realizes, Hold on. There's not a single picture of your family anywhere in this house. There's not a single picture of your right. kids or of you. There's nothing anywhere in this house. And then she takes a closer look at the kids, and they're completely look different than the two people that are there. And then she goes back, and you know, uh, Wait, she keeps threatening look, them. Look completely different. Uh, she mentions that the kids look nothing like them. Like there's no way that those are their kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so after that, she starts going through the house again, like, looking through everything, and then I think she spots that he might be in the cupboard, or they kind of do an eye glance at the cupboard, and that's oh, where Oleg is. Yeah, she goes in the closet, and then she pulls Oleg out, he has, like, a yeah. plastic bag over his head. Um, 
Anyway, she gives him mouth to mouth, you know, reciprocating, uh, reciprocating him, um, and tells him, "Hey, go get the other kids and uh, meet me downstairs." So that's when she goes in the closet and sees that they have body bags and cleaning materials, stuff, basically how to dispose of bodies, and that they've been making snuff films. You see a list of like DVDs of like different yeah. kids with like each of them with just stars. names on it, like Maria, Cody, stuff like that. And like star ratings next to it, like rating how it was. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I remember when I first saw this film, I was like, dude, this is such a sick twist. Like, and this, and this, listen, this has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. This is just a detour in the plot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, this is so insane. So, you know, finally, uh, she says, like, she, she she says, give me the phone. She calls 911 and says, hey, I live across the street, such and such. I heard gunshots. And she kills both of the, um, she kills the, she kills the couple. She shoots them. And then we, yeah. we get away from that. But I was like, dude, that is such, like, like, this whole movie is on 10. Um, and, but you, you, it, you rock with it. You know, it's, it's a, it's a ridiculously, uh, over the top film from beginning to finish, but you rock with it. Like this was such a detour in the plot. Like and like to be able to like, it's, it's kind of like that scene in Pulp Fiction where Bruce Willis and uh, Ving Rhames run into that that store, and they run into those people that has. Oh, that did they run into the like gym. the rednecks? Yeah, this kind of felt like that scene a little bit. Like this is just such a that was just such a weird detour. Just being but in the such wrong a great the wrong scene time. with such greatly built up characters that are it literally is. given no real details about. It is. And, you know, even when he's in the bathroom way before uh, Teresa comes to get him, you can see the silhouettes outside the bathroom. They look like monsters. They look like monsters as they're trying to look in and see what he's doing. Like it's like storyboard it's like villains in a children's storybook did you see the shadows on the on the wall yeah i saw the shadows and what kind of threw me off is didn't one of the shadows have like a hat on and neither of them were wearing a hat so i was kind of weird yeah, they looked weird during if that was like all in his head for the shadows or i think it was a stylistic thing okay because that part, it was, it was just a little bit odd that neither of them had a hat, but one of the shadows did. Um, I know that the shadows had like elongated fingers and stuff to kind of look more like monstrous, but right. it, it just, I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be inside Oleg's head while this was all going on, or if that was just kind of because of the shadows, they just looked a little bit different and more monstrous because they were shadows going through like pained glass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that was just a stylistic thing. Uh, but it, it was really, like, well done. Like, that whole scene, be, it, that's just like a chapter. It's like a sideways chapter in the plot. But it works so well, like you said, because the way it's constructed, and it's, it's so out of left field, and the way it's, like, kind of, like, like, closely, like, I don't want to say closed up, but, like, it's, like, neatly, like, the chapter is neatly closed out mm-hmm. uh, when Teresa comes and rescues him. And, and the other two kids. But, um, you know, cut back to uh, Joey. Joey tracks down the guy that uh, that took the gun off the guy that worked at the diner. And he finds out that he switched the gun with the pimp that uh, initially had ran into Oleg. Oh, you know, yeah. Back when, uh, you're right, Lester. <laughs> Lester. Oh, man. Um, so Lester has the gun now. So now Joey has to track him down before he does that. I think he uh, crosses paths with. Uh, he's called in, right? 
Like he, um, because at what point does the detective, they're at the strip club and the detective has to talk to him about, uh, he talks with the mob guys about like, Hey, if y'all don't give me that money back, you know, I got your gun. Like I got your bullet uh, to put all you in prison. Um, was that before or after the pimp guy? That was before the pimp, I believe. Okay. Okay. Because yeah, that was when he was so still much. kind of going, I don't know where the gun is. And right. then he finds out it's with the pimp. So he's literally just bluffing to go, like, try and buy a little bit more time, you know, of, hey, you better get all this for me because I know, you know. Yeah, man, like, this is such a, um, there's so much going on in this movie, dude. Uh, so finally, uh Oleg is back at home with um, Teresa, right? Yeah, with uh, yeah, because she eventually finds him with uh, child murderers, and then they bring her. She brings him back to the house, so he's safe at this right. point. This is the point where Oleg is now officially safe. His worst day ever is finally over, and he's you know back at home. Okay, all right, yeah. So at this point, um. You know, Joey and Oleg, they go to the hockey rink. And uh, I got I got something funny to talk about that later. Um, but they, they go to a hockey rink where uh, Tommy, um, who was a, who's the mobster from the beginning with the beginning shootout, um, Tommy and his father are waiting for them. And, dude, like, there is such a funny <laughs> this, – this is where the most cringeworthy line in this dialogue comes from, where – Basically, we, we find out that Tommy um, Tommy has a gun pointed at Joey because he suspects Joey of, like, uh, you know, not being all the way truthful with them and, you know, kind of, like, sabotaging this thing and being, like, uh, responsible for, like, uh, Anzor. Basically responsible for this whole thing going on. Yeah. Um, well, up until the, they're basically finding out that everybody that was a part of, like, this heist of theirs and operation – is like either doing a side hustle or they're working with the police in some way. So they're picking off these people and then they're kind of going to him and going, Hey, I don't exactly trust you now. You know, prove to me that you're full in, you know? Right, right, right. So, (laughs) right. So, uh, you know, it, it gets tense and then he, um, he ends up shooting the other guy that's like standing on the side of them. Because and then he real then he reveals like oh he used to be an informant from a long time ago, but he says the he says the most random he says the most random line ever like uh he like I told you in Reservoir Dogs it kind of bothered me but in this movie it's just so random and stupid like he he has the gun pointed at Paul Walker and he's like you want to see what happens you want to see what happens N word and I'm like oh yeah they say it, it like five times in the last like ten minutes of the movie. He he says it, and I'm like, isn't Paul Walker white? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm like, what kind of what kind of racism is this? Like, he says, you want to say what happens, N word? And then he, he shoots the other guy, and um, you know, they end up going into the hockey rink, and um, that's where the confrontation happens, where we learn. Well, we knew this earlier in the film, but Ansor, uh, I feel like he has an interesting backstory, and um, Paul Paul Walker tells an interesting backstory. Uh earlier in the film too, where Ansor, um, he is the boy's stepfather because his mother who was pregnant. And I think she was like a prostitute overseas. Uh, he was supposed to execute her 
because she was no longer viable because she was pregnant. Instead, he married her, mm. so he didn't have to execute her. So that's how he became a stepfather. And um, basically, ever since then, uh, you know, he's he hasn't been allowed back into his family. And uh, he's been selling crystal meth on his own and, and using it too. Uh, but, you know, this is his moment right here to get accepted back into the family by executing the young boy. Uh, dude, I love his scene, man. Like, as, as, as over the top as it was, I love how he, uh, he kind of has this John Wayne moment where, um, you know, he refuses to shoot Oleg and then takes his shirt off. And it's like this ridiculous oh, yeah. John Wayne tattoo on his back and he walks away slowly, then gets shot like John Wayne. Um, like I said, he's not a totally evil character. He's just a bad guy, a bad stepfather. But, um, yeah, man, what did you think of that whole shootout and that climax? Um, well, I gotta say, I love the aesthetic of like the hockey rink with like the neon glow that they had in there. I I love that aesthetic. Absolutely. Uh, because it gave us a little bit of, you know, ambiguity with what was going on because you could see shadows of everything, but then you had like the neon hockey puck, like always going across. You could always track where that was, uh, like blood was always like lighting up and everything. Right. So, I love the shot of it hitting Paul Walker's face as they're torturing him. And, yeah. Like, you can really feel it hitting him. Like, oh, I yeah. That was really cool. Like, yeah. I think it's mostly because of that neon look where you had the glow from the hockey puck. You had the glow from the stadium lighting up his face. And everything else is kind of shrouded in darkness. So it's really 100% focused on him. There's nothing else to like distract you away from it at all. So every right. hit you can feel it as he's like being tossed back and everything like that. And his head's moving around and trying to avoid it, but there's nowhere it can possibly go because he has two people holding him down. It. Yeah. I loved that last shoot. I stylistically and everything mm. absolutely loved it. Uh, yeah. There was actual tension to it because you're going to kind of going like, is he going to kill Oleg or, you know, is, uh, Paul Walker's character gonna get out of this like what who there's everything is at stake anything can happen with this one because you you don't really have a hero character in this movie at this point uh everybody's been working for themselves and all their actions have been for themselves the closest thing we have to a moral compass is Joey because Joey has actually not killed anybody at this point uh, we haven't seen him kill anybody, and he really cares about Oleg. You know, like, he, he, he cares about, he, he wants to protect the boy. The reason he says, like, oh, yeah, he, um, uh, you know, Tommy told me to give the give the gun to Oleg to shoot the kid. That's how it starts between uh, the Russians oh, yeah. and the mobsters start shooting at each other. Like, he starts to, like, create this fake sabotage plot. Um yeah, man. But even then, he's whole... still not really a hero character in the movie. You know, you don't see him kill anybody, but he's still not, you know, pushed as a good guy. He's on he's the, the right thing. side of the moral compass, but... He's the closest thing we have. Right. Yeah. Which, even yeah. then, if he died, yeah, it'd be sad and everything like that, but you could see it happening in this movie. You know, right. there's nobody right. that you're guaranteed to be walking out of this hockey rink alive. Everybody could die and you just be like yeah that makes sense for this movie yeah 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 
Um, so basically, that uh, that final shootout was nice, man. I felt like that was a really good, like, bloody finale. And then you find out um, when Tommy's dad, I don't know if he's called Tommy too, but uh, I think his name was Frankie. Uh, basically, the, the the Italian mob boss, you know, kind of like has his gun pointed at Joey. Joey reveals his wire and reveals that he's an undercover FBI agent at that point. Uh, which if, if you follow the film and kind of his mannerisms, it, it makes sense at that point. So I thought that was a very solid twist. Um, so anyway, Oleg points the gun. He points the gun at uh, Frankie, and um, I think Frankie is like, uh, "Well, you, you don't know what the, you don't know what you're gonna do with that kid." Or uh, yeah, I forgot what he said to him. Anyway, it's a distraction. So at that point, you know, he uh, I think I think Joey knocks him down, and then he shoots him with the shotgun. Something like that. And uh, while they're getting out and the FBI is just swarming in, um, mm-hmm. back at the house, you know, even more depressing, um, Oleg's mother kind of, uh, she, she thinks she thinks he's dead. So she commits suicide by blowing herself up in Ansor's, like, meth lab. So. Yeah. There's that. Uh, <laughs> and, and before Joey returns home, uh, they go to the diner. And I love how... Because I was kind of like laughing at the TV. I love how he says to Oleg, like, hey, man, um, you know, kind of like lighting you up because they don't know about his mom's death yet. Um, he's like, hey, man, uh, mm. how about uh, I give you an extra ticket to go to the hockey game? And the kid starts smiling. I'm like, you're going to take him back to the same hockey field where he was traumatized <laughs> and almost killed? <laughs> like, you're going to take him back there? <laughs> I just started uh, laughing. Like, uh, You know, I didn't even put two and two together for that one. I just kind of saw that as, oh, he's trying to, like, you know, give the kids no, something I, to look forward to now. I didn't even put two and two together. Oh, yeah, let me bring you back to the place that you just had a horrible experience at. <laughs> Right, the same place where you lost your stepfather, or your or his your stepfather sacrificed his life for you, and um, I just couldn't help but just put my head on my. That's why I said this movie is so over the top and ridiculous, um, like the fan. But uh, again, we have a showdown between him and Lester, because uh, you know Lester uh, uh, has his um, and it's, it's just this is some of the most like weird weirdest dialogue ever, where uh, Lester is like uh. Like, I'm going to shoot that kid or something like that. And um, no, no. What did he say? Uh, he said, say hello to my little friend. And Paul Walker's like, oh, yeah, that's real oh, original. Yeah. What guy. are you, Scarface? Like, <laughs> right. And, you know, they, they just got this really weird back and forthness going on. And then finally, um, you know, Lester shoots Joey and Joey, like, kills him with the switchblade. I love how the hookers try to jump on him first, though. And one of the hookers ends up like getting shot because the other hooker shot at her by accident. Like again, that's another pulp fiction kind of moment. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, but anyway, um, basically Joey is trying to race home, bleeding on his stomach, and um, you know, they finally get home and you know, Joey's like close to like dying, and uh Oleg finds out about his mom, cut to there's like this fake funeral going on. We don't know that it's fake at first, but it's a funeral going on. We assume it's for Joey. And uh, then they get home and figure out, you know, it was a fake burial. And uh, they live happily ever after in this little farmhouse. And, you know, that's kind of like the ending of it. But I'm like, dude, that's this whole movie is a wild ride. It is. It's like I don't It starts it. off at 10. 
it cranks up to 11 a couple times goes back to 10 i think it cranks down to nine for like a microsecond then right back to 10 it cranks down to nine go ahead well yeah it just it's constant you know action and suspense and like you you never know where it's gonna go it literally goes in so many weird places that like halfway through the movie you just raise your hands and you go i don't know where this movie is going at all but i love it this is a great ride (laughs) right right i feel like the film goes to nine like one of the film's best scenes where uh paul walker um he talks about this kid he grew up with with which you know usually how these stories go the kid is him you know, he talks about, yeah, I knew this kid, uh, his father liked to beat on his mama. So, you know, one day he went to uh, his dad's room with a baseball bat and just whammed on his head. And we can figure out it's him because when we look at his father earlier in the film, he's like struggling to eat. And, like, yeah, he can barely function at all. And he mentions that in the story. Now his father can barely function at all, you know. Right. And I was like, oh, man, that's a pretty, that's a pretty nice character development seeing this film full of craziness. Like, yeah, I, I like the placement of that scene, um, and it kind of showed him. Like, I feel like with the nuances like that, it, 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 you could kind of tell that he was uh, he was an undercover guy because he didn't seem like he fully belonged to that life. He had too much of a moral compass. You know yeah. what I'm saying? He did have a yeah. higher moral compass, but he still, at the same time, you couldn't tell where he really flowed with right, everything right. at that point. Still, uh. It isn't until, like, obviously he comes out as, like, the FBI informant that you're like, oh, so he was a good guy this entire time, which is not until, like, the end of the movie. Uh, Prior to that, you're just kind of like, okay, this is, there's no real hero in this movie. There's him that has a slightly higher moral compass, but he's still a part of this gang, mafia, whatever it was. Right, um... Dude, I got to say, when as far as performances go, like, you know, we talked about Robert De Niro in The Fan. Um, dude, I think this is Paul Walker's best performance. And, uh, again, this is a movie that I feel like, like, with, with all the Paul Walker films I've seen, you know, Fast and Furious, I think I saw Into the Blue once. You know, I just feel like this one is like a strong lead performance from him. Like he he gives what he gives what is required of the role. It may be over the top, but it's an over the top movie. Right. You get what I mean? I, I got to agree with you. It, I'd be hard-pressed to try and find a better performance from uh, Paul Walker for another movie. Like, this is the one that I'm probably going to think of when I hear, like, what was his best movie? Yeah, yeah. Like, and it, and again, go ahead. Well, prior to this, mostly whenever I'd hear of him, I'd always think of the Fast and Furious movies, which I know weren't his best movies, but... Those are the movies that I would always think of. Joyride is good too. Joyride. Yeah. Yeah, Tankers was Tankers was straight. Uh, Flags of Our Fathers is a good movie. Um, but yeah, like I, I feel like a movie like this, it's not um, it's not given enough love, man. Like I love Running Scared. I uh, I can highly agree with that one. Uh, this one is a four point five on my radar. Easy. Uh, all right. I, I, Strong four, like four point five, but I, I I like where you're rolling. I like where you're rolling. Um, I want to say like the most cringiest part of dialogue was again from our our friend Tommy, where in that reveal where um we showed that he uh he blew the he blew the crooked detective up. He was like uh he was like duffel bag twenty dollars. Oh, uh, it was like the Mastercard commercial kind of. <laughs> 
Right. He's like, he's like, like phone, uh, uh, $30, uh, you know, bomb, $60, death of a crooked cop, priceless. I was like, did you really write that, Wayne Kramer? Did you really write that line? I don't know. I, I loved it. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the opposite spectrum of, you know, you're not liking that line. I was cracking up at that line, which I don't know if was, that was supposed to be the response, but man, man. did I love that line. <laughs> No, he sold the line. I just thought, I just, listen, I, um, I love to hate it. I, I love to hate it. Okay. That's what, that's what it was. <laughs> you know, I, I cracked up. And, uh, again, him just saying the N word out of context when, um, he first runs up to shoot Joey, like, you, you want to see what happens, N word? You want to see what happens? I'm like, dude, this guy is white. There's no black people in this <laughs> arena. Like, what are you saying that to? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. Um, Yeah, man. Yeah, I think in here it made me laugh, uh, which was the opposite response I had to Reservoir. But, um, yeah, man, overall, man, this is just a great movie, dude. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's so over the top. It's it's, it's grimy and gritty, but it's grimy and gritty with style. So, uh, I don't know... I don't know, man. I really love the fan. I don't know if I can put this over the fan. I think it's a hard tie to me because I love them both so much. But I can understand how you you probably put this over the fan. Yeah, I put Running Scared over the fan. I got to say that I enjoyed Running Scared more. Okay, I understand. I leave it as a tie, but I I, I respect your opinion on that, and I, I get it. Um, yeah, yeah, nice batch of movies. Uh, have yeah. you seen anything lately? Uh, outside of these, uh, oh, I finally sat down and watched Luca, the Pixar movie. Yeah, I saw that not too long ago, uh, too. How do what'd you think? I enjoyed it. Um, it didn't yeah. have the same magic as most, like, Pixar movies, uh, cause yeah. most Pixar movies you can, like, grab onto, like, the message and you're like, oh, yeah, this is a good message. Uh, the message of this one was basically, if your parents don't let you do what you want to, just run away. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I, I guess that's the, oh, and, uh, kind of be yourself and like, uh, you know, treat others with respect no matter how different they are, you know, right. the usual, the usual, the usual Disney fluff, but like the overall yeah. message seemed to be, yeah, if your parents are getting hard on you, just run away. Everything will work out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> parents just don't understand, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, I, I, I put it on the same level as the good dinosaur, you know, good movie. Um, yeah. didn't really like grab me as much as like Toy Story or Bugs Life, but good movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not one of Pixar's best, but even Pixar's worst is still better than most, you know, yeah. other animated movies at their That's top how game. It goes. So it's still yeah, a great Dreamworks. movie, but it's not making my top 10 for Pixar. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely not. DreamWorks had a good run for a while though, man. When you had Shrek, Shark's Tail and Madagascar all back to back to back. That was a great run. Oh, I wouldn't put Shark's Tail in the great run for them, but I can agree with Shrek, really? Madagascar. I love Shark Tail. I think Shark Tail is funny. Over the Hedge is pretty funny too. Over the Hedge um, definitely has some great, you know, comedy bits to it. You know, I never got into the uh, Despicable Me's or the Mega Minds or Monsters vs. Aliens. I heard it. I heard they're funny. I just never got into them. 
Uh, Despicable Me, I got into those ones. I didn't like the Minions spinoff movie, and I don't know how the new one that's coming up is going to be, but Despicable 1, 2, and 3, uh, those are really good ones. I enjoyed those. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not watching Trolls, man. I, I'm not watching a bunch of singing trolls, dude. <laughs> I There's a limit I have. I don't have any kids, so I'm not obligated to watch that. Uh, yeah, there, there's just a limit, dude. But, um, okay, so you saw Luca. Uh, ooh, did you see Matrix 4 trailer? I am staying away from it because I want to go Stay into away. that one completely blind. That's not usually like you. I know. Well, with Matrix 4, the only thing the trailer can do is convince me to not go see the movie, and I don't want that. <laughs> Let me, let me let me guess. You're one of those ones that think two and three were bad. Um, I thought two had some good thing with the twins and everything. Uh, three, okay. I did not like three. <laughs> I just take three as an epilogue and nothing more. Um, I take it as an epilogue. Two was really great to me. Like even to today, there's a lot of things I can defend with that movie. You know, the car scene, uh, the twins, the action, seeing yeah. Zion for the yeah. first time there's a lot of good with two it just didn't yeah. live up to the expectation being a sequel to the matrix and then three just i i did not like i thought it lived up man you know we, at some point we had to see the we had to see uh what's behind the curtain i feel right. like reloaded gave us a more of a deeper look you, you, you gotta understand two and three were filmed back to back so when you when you see three I know it may feel rushed, but it's it's you're supposed to look in two and three two and three as one whole movie. Uh that doesn't always work, but I, 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 I get why people don't like three. I get why I get it. Um, yeah. Well, I re- if I recall correctly, they came in theaters like almost five months apart from each other too. Which is unheard of. Yeah, which is insane. Even by today's Six standards of rushing out movies. Yeah, that's unheard of, man. Because I remember it happening as a kid, but, you know, you don't pay attention to month dates and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think as an adult, I'd be like, really? Five months later, is there, it's a new one? Yeah, that's unheard of. Yeah, like if they announced, you know, uh, John Wick 4 for like February and in May we're getting John Wick 5, I'd be like, hold on a minute. Wait, same year? <laughs> that doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something, man. Even though we're not going to get a Keanu Reeves day, um, I'm going to throw my own. Around the day Matrix 4 drops, and I am seeing that in theaters, uh, not on HBO Max, I'm going to binge watch John Wick 1 through 3, Matrix 1 through 3, and then go see it. I'm going to have my own Keanu day, man. Yeah. I got to say, I'm almost disappointed in the studios for not realizing the marketing potential they could have combined if they just delayed Matrix to the same day as Wick 4 or pushed up Wick 4's release a little bit and kind of met in some middle ground. Because think of the marketing possibilities of having those two movies come out at once. People were already grabbing onto that so furiously. Yeah, man. If if there were no COVID around, no Delta, no Alpha, anything like that, I would have grabbed my pre-order tickets, man. I would have been geared up. Like, movie after movie. Uh, You know theaters were going to put those as a double feature 
like one ticket both movies they could have even charged a little bit extra than buying the tickets separate they still would have sold a bunch of tickets for it i would have been prepared for a four-hour day at the movies man oh yeah Keanu, dude for mr reeves one her pre- uh, I was prepared to have like a five and a half hour day at the movie theater just because there'd be time between the movies as well. Like, I I was, I was ready to be like, no no no, Thursday night is Keanu day. I don't have plans except for being at the movie theater. <laughs> I know it's our anniversary, hun, but this is Keanu day, right? But this is Keanu <laughs> day. <laughs> we have we have to push it by twenty four hours and then we'll celebrate. You know what I'm saying? Like, we uh, got to reschedule the flight. You know, we can push all that back. We got to be right, here right. for Keanu Day. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a great day. Uh, but I'm just gonna throw my own day. Really, when is when is four? When is John Wick four coming out? John Wick four, I think, is it's in 2022. But I want to say it's around like May or June. I know Furiosa got pushed back. Yeah, uh, Venom two got pushed up though. That's now coming out on yeah. October 1st. You know what? I The first Venom we watched for this show, uh, that was my first time watching it. I thought it was solid. Uh, but the trailer I've seen for this new one has me a little amped, man. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I like that we get a very like wild, dark Woody Harrelson and uh, an e- even funnier Venom. Like I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I feel it- like it's going to be a nice film. As a comic reader, I see where people are upset with Venom. Uh, but yeah. also as a comic fan, I do love this new like Venom Eddie kind of dynamic that we're getting as a right. fan of like movies and comics and everything like that. But at the same time, when people are like, oh, I didn't like it because this isn't really Venom. They're kind of turning me into the it's like, yeah, I get that. I, I 100 percent understand. Right. And trust me, I'm on your side of the fight as well. But I'm still watching the movie and enjoying myself. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I basically tell people. Like, look, I know. I know it's bad. I, I know it doesn't live up to the source material, but I'm seeing it anyway. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm having a anyway. good time watching it. It might not be exactly what I want it to be. Like, if See? we got something from the comics, oh, shit, I, I'd love that movie. But this is good, too. <laughs> I think the fans need to kind of get over that. You, you're not going to get exactly what you want in Hollywood. Uh, especially when Hollywood adapts something, it's, it's just not going to be that way. You know what I mean? Like you just had to kind of, kind of take what you get and be like, okay, well they put a lot of they put a lot of construction and money into this, and you know, good good actors, solid actors. I'll give it a shot. You know, that's how that's how the Star Wars fan base got bad. They over critiqued everything George Lucas and everybody did. Um, we just kind of enjoy it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I didn't like Rise of Skywalker either, but I at least was entertained. You know, I I was at least entertained. Yeah. I, I got to <laughs> say, like, Rise of Skywalker <laughs> wasn't terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember what the movie before it was called. Last Jedi. Uh, I really liked that movie. Last yeah, Jedi. Last Jedi. I did not like that one. Like, even <laughs> taking Star Wars fan out of it, I was not a fan of that movie. Okay, fair enough. I, I like Ryan Johnson, so that's why I like that movie. Uh, I thought it had some nice stylistic touches to it. But you know, again, I'm not the biggest. I'm not the biggest Wookie, but you know, I know what to, I know what to get out of these films. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a 
it's it's action for ages of all it's it's action for people of all ages a little bit of political intrigue and that's it you know what i mean like i know what to get out of star wars uh, I like yeah. how people call Rise of Skywalker, aka Last Jedi, never happened, because that's pretty yeah. much what that film that's is. Pretty much, yeah. They, basically, they just undid everything from uh, Last Jedi. <laughs> right. Um, but okay, we kind of segued hard there. Uh, back to Matrix Four. Man, I wish you saw the trailer, man. We could talk about it, but uh, okay. Uh, yeah, this one I, I'm staying away from the trailer because all it can do is convince me that I don't want to see the movie. Because right now I'm just all in on seeing another Matrix movie. Well, let me. Th- there's no way the trailer can hype me up anymore. <laughs> well, let me just tell you what my response was uh, without telling you what happened. Um, I'm I'm very intrigued. I'm very intrigued. Uh, it shows a lot of what we love about the original films. Basically, what we love about the Matrix in the uh, in the trailer. And they use a very famous song that's like so Matrix meta, but it works so well in the trailer. Um, yeah, yeah, I, it has me intrigued, man, and I'm I'm kind of all in. The only one thing I gotta say, one thing I gotta say, I want my fish burn. I want my fish burn. Yeah. The other I, guy I heard... is fine, but go, go ahead. What? Uh. They're using Matrix Online, which was the game, as yeah, yeah. Uh, canon, which he dies in that. Yeah, he does. And who played that game? I mean, did you play that game? Uh, no, I did not play that game. <laughs> I didn't play that game. Who played that game, man? Come on. Like, who played that game? I remember the advertisement for it in the Matrix Reloaded DVD uh, copy, but I'm like, I'm not going to log online to play that yeah you know what i'm saying come on that's like using the star wars books as canon they don't do that do they they do some of the books are considered canon and the books that aren't considered canon they stole stories from in order to use that in what was it uh rebels mandalorian the bad batch anywho nobody played that game man (laughs) case 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 in point uh, but yeah, yeah, I know Morpheus dies in the game, but like a lot of people don't know. I'm, I'm sure there are people that played the game, if we're going to be honest, but a lot of people don't know that. And I'm like, man, I want my fish burn. Yeah, they're going to have to explain why he's absent in the movie at some point, because there's no way that they can just overlook that, because there's going to be so many people going, well, hold on. Where, where'd he go, though? <laughs> where, where, where is Morpheus? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't know this other guy. I want Morpheus. You know, he's on the uh, cover of all the other movies. Why isn't he in this one? <laughs> right, people who don't know how to Google search. I listen. I wouldn't have known about Morpheus dying in the Matrix Online if it wasn't for this film theory piece I read in college that that talked about the Matrix and how the Matrix dealt with race. It's a pretty good piece. I, I wish I remember what it was, but um, it said, oh, you know, Matrix is such a Incline multimedia verse that you know uh, one of his main characters died in the online game. Then that's when I found out. But I'm like, oh, okay, that's a very bold move. But again, that would have been something that would have been better to know about in the Animatrix or something. You know what I mean? But again, oh, hey, yeah. I'm not in charge of that. Uh, whatever. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I'll leave it at that. I'm excited. And you know, it's only one of the Wachowskis working on this one, not both this time. Oh, really? 
Yeah, one of them dropped out. Uh, so it's only one Wachowski making this one. I don't Did know he drop out early Billy. in or? Uh, yeah, early before it even got uh manifested. Because what I believe is, okay, let me see which one, which one it is. Let me just look it up real quick. The Matrix Resurrections. So Lana is making this one. Uh, Lily chose not to be involved. I think Lily just kind of wanted to stray away from Matrix. Okay, so, I, I could see where they're kind of done with it. And they want to move on to something else. Yeah, yeah. Because when did Reloaded come out? That was years ago. Uh, Early 2000s, right? 2003. Yeah. That's when they both came out, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's been a franchise that's more or less been dead for a while. I could see why they wanted to kind of move on from it. but Wachowski's... Yeah, Wachowskis have had, like, an interesting career, man. Like, when you look at their debut film, Bound, which is a pretty good movie with, um, I don't know if you ever saw that, with Jennifer Tilly and, uh, uh, who's the other girl? Gina Gershon. It's a pretty interesting movie. That was before Matrix. Um, if you look at everything post-Matrix, like, they got some up and downs. They wrote, they wrote V for Vendetta and produced it, which is a good movie. I never watched the Speed Racer movie, did you? Uh, which one? Remember they did Speed Racer? They did a live action Speed Racer? Oh, yes. I loved that movie. I thought that movie was great, honestly. Okay. Uh, uh, that one got uh, a lot of hate for some reason. It did terrible at the box office, but I, I grew up watching the Speed Racer on uh, Cartoon Network, so I remember watching that and like, seeing the movie and going, oh, this is great. This is the wacky, crazy, colorful movie I wanted it to be. Okay, okay. So after that, they got basically Cloud Atlas, which um, I think I think is okay. I think Cloud Atlas is an okay movie. Um, it it has more highs than lows, but as a complete whole, it's kind of okay to me. Like, have you seen the movie? I have. Uh, I don't remember being wowed by it or anything like that, but I remember it just yeah. being okay. Yeah. Um, they had Jupiter Ascending, which I haven't seen. And most a lot of people clown that movie. Uh, that uh, one I highly recommend skipping. Uh, it's okay. just it. It's just bad. I uh, I saw a YouTube clip of my man who was in that movie. My man who plays Stephen Hawking. I usually know his name. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. The famous actor. Um, I'll just click on the film then get his name. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Where is he? Eddie Redmayne. Like, the dude, the dude talks like this the entire movie in a slow, high-pitched voice. And I'm like, is that is that supposed to be frightening? Like, that's how the villain talks in the movie? Like, the whole, like, he really whispers. I remember people yeah. telling me about that, and I'm like, there's no way. And I looked it up, I was like, dude, this guy whispers the whole movie. Yeah, it doesn't come off as threatening if that's what they were going for. He just comes off as brittle. Yeah, comes off as weird. Um, and then Sense Eight, which I thought it was a pretty good show. I'm still watching it, but Sense Eight is Sense Eight is interesting. Um, looking all right, man. They've kind of had an interesting career, but I feel like throughout their career, the Matrix has always followed them. Yeah, they're always known as the Matrix. Uh, no matter what they do, they'll always be known for the Matrix, and I think that kind of. Uh sucks for them a little bit because 
that happens to a lot of directors where they're just known for that one franchise and anything else they try and do it's always like well it's not as good as the matrix or it doesn't live up to the matrix every anton fuqua film from the director of training day i told you this man every film of his from the director of training day every movie yeah he can't Um, escape that movie no matter what he does that's that's what he's known for (laughs) yeah yeah i agree so All not right. saying that it's a bad movie that they're known for, but it's the fact that that's mm-hmm. the one movie that everybody's going to attribute to them, no matter what they do. Yeah, that sucks. But I'm intrigued, man. The trailer has me intrigued. They said last night in Soho has a new trailer. Um, you it looked it up. Does. I have not watched it yet, though. I expect you to be on top of this stuff, man. You, you're the Edgar Wright dude. Oh, that one, I've seen the movie regardless. You know, they could be like, you need to get, like, a new special vaccine before you can go into the movie theaters for that certain day, and I'll be like, load me up. I don't care. Let's do this. I'm watching this movie. I heard Halloween Kills is streaming on Peacock the same day it's showing in theaters. Um, Who has Peacock, though? Yeah, exactly. Who has Peacock? I didn't even get Peacock when they kept trying to sell The Office so hard. Like, Netflix doesn't have it anymore. We do. So you might as well join us. I'm like, but you're not going to have it forever either. So why would I join you for that? Oh, my thought on that one was just, I guess I'm not watching The Office anymore. Right. And, you know, like, we got some missing deleted scenes that you guys have never seen. It'll, It'll pop up on YouTube. Yeah. I'm sure somebody will record and upload to YouTube. I'm still not joining you for that. You know, well, I, I mean? guess like, I'm just never going to see those deleted scenes. I don't know what to tell you guys. You're not selling <laughs> right. me on this. <laughs> right. Um, I think I'm going to stay home and watch Halloween Kills. I was going to go to the theaters, but now that they're streaming it uh, you know, on Peacock, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll find some way to watch it. I don't know. I, I still want to see Halloween Kills because I like the, uh, the, the one that came out before this one. I think, I think that's about it. Thank you for joining us on another classic of uh, Double Feature Versus. We will see y'all on the next one.